0: everyone. I'm Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at BreastCancer.org. I'm thrilled to welcome Tracy Crane to this podcast. Tracy's a registered dietitian and senior research specialist at the University of Arizona, Zuckerman College of Public Health. Her research focuses on diet, specifically studying diet quality and cancer risk. Tracy has more than 15 years of experience developing nutrition plans for cancer survivors, many of them breast and ovarian cancer survivors. Today, we're going to talk about diet, obesity, and what the new U.S. Department of Agriculture 2015-2020 to Dietary Guidelines for Americans mean for women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, as well as women who want to keep the risk of the disease as low as it can be. Tracy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me.
0: Oh, we're thrilled. And, you know, it's, it's February now, so it's relatively still a new year. There may be a lot of uh, resolutions that people are still trying to keep out there. So let's just get right into it. Um, I know there's a large body of research that's linked obesity to higher breast cancer risk. And now, why is this? I, I know we talk about it a lot, but is it the actual number on the scale? Is it the amount of body fat a woman has? Is it the fat's location? Are they all related? What, uh, what's going into that?
1: So I think it's important that we think about that with obesity, the association is really, the research today is more focused on postmenopausal breast cancer risk. And so one reason is that adipose tissue or fat tissue um, there's many as a good source of estrogen. And before menopause, um, fat tissue really only is a minor contributor to estrogen levels. However, after menopause, it becomes a major player adipose tissue does fat tissue. So obesity is associated with several exposures that promote cancer. Um, and these include higher levels of insulin, um, inflammation, oxidative stress, just to name a couple of those. And so when you think about Um, the number on the scale, total fat does matter, but more so it's really the distribution of fat, um, and these are really highly correlated in women in the U.S. In fact, we do know that this is an elevated risk, Um, but particularly fat that's found around the middle section of the body, what we call central adiposity in research, or your waist circumference, this seems to be more pro-inflammatory. So when you think about inflammation, it appears to be more pro-inflammatory. So it's difficult though, to spot weight loss. So you can't tell your body, well, I'm going to go do this (laughs) exercise alone and I'm going to lose just weight around my abdomen. So how, so really the goal is with weight loss as well. If you see a reduction overall, we hope and likely we'll see reduction around the central part of the abdomen as well. Okay.
0: Okay. That's helpful. Now, um, is diet a top lifestyle risk for breast cancer? Or are there other things? I know smoking is a big one. Alcohol is yes. a big one. How does diet fit into that?
1: So I am biased because I'm a dietitian, of course, so I have to put that disclaimer out there. But um, diet is a major driver in weight loss. Um, it is important to exercise. And of course, any modifiable behavior such as smoking is important. But diet uh, is we do see consistent evidence with diet. So beyond weight, it appears that with diet, there's these patterns and the guidelines kind of go into this now about overall dietary patterns. And so when you look at these large epidemiological studies like like EPIC, or that was known as the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer, it really showed that eating a Mediterranean type diet pattern um, reduced uh, overall breast cancer risk. Um, And these key components to dietary patterns really are high vegetables, high fruit consumption. We know fiber. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that, um, that really the adipose tissue and estrogen may be a link for that increased risk and fiber we know can modify estrogen exposure. So I think that really thinking about the overall diet pattern is very, very important when we think about breast cancer risk, it's not just one food, one, one um, nutrient. Okay,
0: so, and, and as you said, it's not one food doesn't like lead to an increase in cancer risk. Similarly, no one food is gonna prevent cancer risk or lower it. Um, and you've you've kind of just alluded to this uh, with the Mediterranean diet. On, on our site, we tell women to eat a diet that's rich in fresh, nutrient dense foods and low in processed foods and foods with added sugar. Is that similar to what you talk to your uh, clients about?
1: So with with our clients, you know, we really try to focus on again the overall pattern and the quality of the diet. And I think it's important for as you begin to think about changing your lifestyle to pick one thing at a time focus in on that and see how that really starts to incorporate i i often tell my my clients that many people can do anything for three days right you sure. could ask somebody to eat nothing but carrots for three days and they could probably do it they could likewise they could probably even with the right incentive do it for three weeks but when we're talking about a long-term change and your overall diet pattern or diet quality, it's gotta be something that's sustainable and is doable. And I can write you a prescription, but if that prescription doesn't fit into your everyday life, the odds of you continuing to do it are really not very good. So it is important to to think about your, your globally and holistically, what does your lifestyle look like? You know, give it some thought pick one thing at a time. But we really do encourage a heavily plant-based diet because it covers many of those things. It's high in phytochemicals and antioxidants, it's high in fiber if you focus on a plant-based diet. So that is really, if I had to pick one targeted area that we really try for, this is the first place. Now, if you came to me and said, I hate vegetables, (laughs) I may try someplace else first. So again, it goes back to this very tailored approach of thinking about your life and where can you start. And it's important to remember, too, to enjoy your food, I think. I mean, I think oftentimes we get caught up in trying so hard to do everything right that we forget that food is meant to be enjoyed. So finding that balance is really important. Okay. And I know kind of going along with that, um,
0: a lot of people say they do great when they're at home, but then when they go out, it becomes an issue because, you know, you may go to I don't know, a specific type of restaurant, you know, whether it's a a food ethnicity, you know, Italian, whatever. And there's they don't feel like there's anything there that's appropriate for them to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have advice for people who travel a lot or or for business or work or whatever have to eat out a lot?
1: So what I tend to tell um, clients is that humans are creatures of habit for the most part. And so if you're flying on a regular basis or you're traveling or you are going to work and you usually have a set set of restaurants that you're gonna to gravitate towards and planning is your best friend. And I know it takes time out of your day, but if you can spend 15 minutes, every website has, or every restaurant rather, has a website where you can look up the food ahead of time in advance. And I oftentimes find that people can spend a little bit of time thinking about things ahead of time it can really help you versus you're starving and you go up to the food counter, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry, what can I get? The plane is boarding, I don't have time to think. Right. And so when you can give it some thought ahead of time, you can make these better food choices. And back to um, you know, a previous comment that I made with the plant-based diet, you probably are never going to go wrong if it's predominantly vegetable. So a salad is usually good. Um, you know, little tips of portion control with the dressing, um, thinking about eating um, a sandwich with lean lean proteins you know turkey um, versus something that's fried a fried chicken sandwich so there are things you can do and again I think if you can give it some thought ahead of time then you're not in the pressure of the moment to think about what can I eat and that can be very successful for people is kind of pre-planning yes. okay
0: that that makes great sense
1: now talking specifically about the guidelines
0: um I Looked, read the new ones I found the way they were presented a little confusing online um, yes. and, <laughs> and then you know and, and was fairly familiar with the old ones now to me they look really similar I'm not an expert they seem very similar um except that they're it's it was really to me more what they didn't talk about so like they don't talk about limiting cholesterol anymore mm-hmm. um so you know, what does that mean? We've been all been told for so long, cholesterol leads to heart disease. And then studies have come out that showing, no, there's really not that association. It's okay to eat eggs. Um, what as a professional, what
1: are you telling your clients about that? So I think it's still really, so they did take out the specific guidelines around cholesterol. However, the three S's are there, right? So watching your salt intake, the new added sugar, and your saturated fat. And we know that saturated fat is a very large driver of cholesterol. So I, I don't think it's really gone per se. They're still targeting it with the saturated fat recommendations. And, you know, I really think that, again, it goes back to this overall pattern of a diet. You don't want to have a diet that's very, very high in, you know, in any one thing for that matter, whether it's, Um, processed food or high in meat intake. So again, it comes back to that overall quality. But you're right. Things don't look too different other than the cholesterol. But I think it's still in there. I think that they are coming at it from really a saturated fat standpoint. Um, But again, I think it's important to look at the quality and what type of fat are you eating. So it comes down to the different types of fat.
0: Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Now, is there, you've very much emphasize a plant-based diet. Um, if I'm a woman, if I'm a, a diagnosed woman, um, I'm out of treatment, it's, it's in my rear view mirror. I want to keep my risk of recurrence as low as I can. Um, is there a best way for me to eat? And is that different or the same than for say a high risk woman who hasn't been diagnosed but also wants you know to keep her risk low? I guess I'm wondering if there are any differences between those groups.
1: So I think um, what I tell women, regardless of whether they want to prevent their risk of recurrence of disease or prevent the risk you know, of, a, of a initial uh, breast cancer, or any type of cancer for that matter, um, really it boils down to, again, I, is a lot of high vegetable consumption, higher in fiber, um, lower in fat. I do think there is evidence supporting a lower-fat diet. Um, particularly for breast cancer risk, in both the, the, the primary prevention as well as the recurrent risk. Again, I think I go back to sustainability for both of these, these women that are looking at breast cancer in different places, whether it's prevention of recurrence or prevention of initial disease. And again, it's got to be something you can sustain because we know that long-term, changing it overall is the best. So thinking about your lifestyle individually, well, maybe really looking at it globally, where could I maybe fit in another serving of vegetables? And I also find it's easier for people to think about behavior change when they look at it from the standpoint of adding something. So it's easier to add than it is to take away. So I often will challenge people to think about adding some vegetables to their to their lifestyle, to their diet versus taking something out. And oftentimes that's pretty successful.
0: No, that makes um, so sense because then you're not deprived, in in air quotes, you're adding things, which is good. That's right. Okay. That's
1: right. So again, I think the takeaway message is um, trying to reduce your intake of processed foods as much as possible because it does usually have higher levels of saturated fat, higher levels of added sugar, and really replacing those things with more wholesome vegetables, whole grains, and that sort of thing
0: okay now i want to i want to go back to um red meat and processed meat um there was a study that came out last year it was slightly controversial because of the way it was conducted um you know is should somebody who's been diagnosed or somebody who's really trying hard to keep their risk low avoid either one of those groups i mean just from my limited knowledge, it seems like processed meats would have more strikes against it than just red meat. You know, if you have a good, high-quality red meat, there may not be anything wrong with that. Um, but certainly, you are the expert.
1: So, so there's the evidence supporting the, um, the association between um, red meats is highest colorectal cancer. Um, there is evidence with breast cancer and associated risk. Um, eating processed food in general I think is not uh, ideal for anybody regardless if they're a cancer survivor or not however again I go back to enjoying your food and if something you have always loved is eating a steak perhaps um, once in a while a high quality cut of meat and it's not a routine occurrence but maybe on a special occasion maybe it's something that you have a tradition around I mean a lot again you got to go back to quality of life also And if that's something you really enjoy, once in a while, I think it's acceptable to have, for sure, to have that nice meal and the, um, you know, share it with somebody or even just for yourself. But on a regular basis, I think that people should consider limiting their intake of processed meats, particularly, and red meats, yes. Okay.
0: And just to clarify, because I know people have asked me this, when you say
1: processed foods,
0: what... Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean to me? Oh, right. So to me, that
1: means that things that have had um, preservatives added, If let's just think about the context of the study that came out, um, you know, the one that you spoke about with processed meats. And processed meats really means it's been cured with nitrates or nitrites. And those we certainly see an association with cancer risk, with things that have been cured or preserved. Um, so that's, that's like fantastic. lunch meat, bacon, lunch meat cold bacon, cold cuts, all those things. Yes, you can oftentimes find things that are nitrate-free or nitrite-free, mm-hmm. um, but those additives s- seem to increase, have an increased association with them with risk. Okay, and one, uh, one sort of
0: ruler, I guess, I use for that is I look at it, is it a packaged food? Does it have more than two or three ingredients? That's, is, does that sound yes. fair?
1: I th- yes, I think that's fair, and I also think it's important to remember that the food labels are your friend look at the food label. The food labels give you ingredients and they are listed in order of quantity. So if there are three or four things that you cannot pronounce on that food label and they are very high up on the list, it's probably not as good of a selection as something else that has pretty clean, what I call clean ingredients, things you know, things you're familiar with, and that you would want to put in your body. Okay, okay. Um,
0: Now, do you think that most people are going to change the way they eat because of these new guidelines? (laughs) I can't Uh, even say that without laughing.
1: (laughs) So I would love to say that yes, everybody's gonna read these, first of all, that everybody's gonna read them. Uh, Second of all, that yes, I would love to say that people are really going to change, but do I think think it takes more effort and more um, intervention throughout this country and policy change to really help people change the way that they're, that they're eating and really interpret these. I read a recent study that you have to put things into perspective for people. Um, this particular study I was looking at um, put the calorie content of different foods at a fast food restaurant and they wanted to see if people could see the calorie content, would they make different choices? Turns out they didn't, but when they went back a few weeks later and they put up how much time they would have to exercise, ah. that changed their behaviors. And it's because people don't know what they don't know. And so, you know, we can't expect people to say, make a a recommendation that you need to limit your added sugar. Well, what does that mean exactly? Right. Um, So I think we have to put it into context for people that is meaningful and understandable. Okay. Um,
0: I was going to ask you about um, alcohol. Now, I thought it was interesting that the guidelines actually... My understanding is they allow more alcohol than what a lot of research has shown for breast cancer risk. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any insight into that? You know how that came about, or 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 what is I guess what is your position on alcohol?
1: So my position on alcohol with cancer survivors are uh, is that if it if you do not currently drink alcohol on a regular basis, there is no evidence to suggest you should start drinking (laughs) alcohol. Um, If you do enjoy an alcoholic beverage on an occasional basis, I think there's nothing wrong with that, meaning one drink per day, one to two, maybe two, but usually one drink per day um, of an alcoholic beverage. I think moderation is key. There's nothing to say you should start drinking it for the health benefits. However, again, I go back to that comment of quality of life. And if you can unwind at the end of the day, let your stress go, and you do that with a glass of wine, as long as it's an appropriate serving size, I think it's important for people to recognize the serving size. Um, I think that that can be something that can be worked into your everyday life. Okay, perfect. And then one last question. Um, the guidelines also, much like
0: the, uh, the previous ones did, also say now everybody should follow the um, exercise requirements, I I don't remember the official name, but, um, you know, and and everybody clearly has to move along with eating well. And are there any studies or any, um, any evidence showing like, which percentage of which, whether it's diet or exercise goes into weight and weight loss? Because I, I, I know people have asked me that I'm like, I really have no
1: idea. So traditionally, people lose more weight initially with the diet component, but for weight maintenance, you really do need that exercise component to maintain the weight loss long-term. So I think the two go hand in hand. There have not been enough studies in cancer survivors that have had weight loss as the outcome that have been a combined exercise and diet research project. Um, I think there are some large studies in the work that are coming down the pipeline, um, I don't want to speak too much about them yet because sure. I'm not for certain, but I think that mm-hmm. that is a definite gap that we have in cancer prevention right now, and um, it is that there's not been well-designed trials that really combine the two and look at outcome and weight loss. So um, to answer your question, I think they go hand in hand. I think that most people and most researchers would tell you that initially the diet is really an important component to weight loss, um, but you do need the physical activity to maintain that long-term weight loss that appears. Um, I would also say that um, women will often ask me, they'll say, well, which one should I do? Which one is the best? Which one, meaning which diet or which? which, Well, any of it, but when I'm speaking (laughs) more specifically about exercise, you know, which exercise should I I do, I'll do it. And really, I tell people, the one you'll do. (laughs) It doesn't matter uh, which one, and I think it's important if you're not feeling good, particularly depending upon where you are in treatment, if you're recently out, if fatigue is a problem, Um, Lymphedema can be a problem. Um, Just reducing the time that you're sitting can be effective. Um, I've had um, clients Mm -hmm. who have told me that they put on music and dance around the house for ten or fifteen minutes. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's not structured, but it's what that person enjoys doing. So I think that's an important point. That there's no one prescription for everybody. Okay. You really need to think about it in the context of your lifestyle and what works for you. There are plenty. Uh, there's hundreds of different vegetables out there to choose from. There's lots of different exercises. Pick one that works for you.
0: Great. Tracy Crane, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. All right. Thanks so much.